Hey guys, Hugh Jackman here. I just wanted to let you know, act right now. And for 1995, you can get access to my entire website full of all my uh, uh, recent uh, wedding photos that have been taken. Uh, it's been a really nice uh, gig that I had this last weekend. I want to thank Barbara and uh, Sean for letting me, uh, uh, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> Welcome to episode 97 of the Superhouse Podcast. This is Andrew, as always, and I'm once again joined by Maddie. Hi. And Stefan. How's it going? And this week, our guest on Superhouse is a practical effects artist named Julian Ledger. He is Superhouse's first Australian guest on the show, and he has worked on Alien Covenant, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, The Monkey King, True Grit, The Last Samurai, Serenity, Biodome, and The Blob. In 1988 just to name a few he has been a painter sculptor he has done some mold making and then a bunch of creature effects creature effects painting and technician work as well as puppeteer work and illustration work throughout his career welcome to superhouse julian andrew good to be here <laughs> <laughs> i know it's a quite a lot to take in but that is, uh that is quite a lot <laughs> you you've left out miniatures oh miniatures oh sorry which, which, have, which have been long forgotten but, uh, they still happen sometimes. They still happen. Um, somebody at work actually did the miniatures for Mindhunter. The hotels you saw in Mindhunter were actually miniatures, some of them. Cool. Yeah. Cool. That's cool. Yeah. So I'm awesome. always happy to hear people doing miniature work. It still happens. It's just you just don't know when you're seeing it. They're that yeah. good. The technology yeah. has advanced. <laughs> I follow a bunch of uh, pages, like uh, miniature and diorama pages that uh, do like action figure photography and stuff. Very cool. Dope. Highly detailed. <laughs> very good, very good. <laughs> yeah i couldn't believe those were actually miniatures yeah when when that stuff is done right it's it, it's really amazing it's in my hunter it's yeah. fucking seamless man <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm gonna have to check it out yeah i couldn't believe it um anyway um it's not about my hunter today it's about all about julian did you work on mine hunter i did not okay all right um <laughs> let's just <laughs> let's let's just get right into it so julian where are you from originally originally from australia uh born in sydney grew up on the edge of the outback in a tiny little town called carcor um, by tiny it had like 384 people Damn. it was really beautiful historic town kind of nestled Looked a, lot, a lot like central california kind of rolling hills a lot of um you know, pretty beautiful old buildings including the house we i grew up in it was like old three-story directory so it was a great place to grow up rode motorcycles around <laughs> had horses and pony and all that sort of stuff fought with mad max or what <laughs> i think you've got to go a little further inland <laughs> where we were was still beautiful rolling hills okay go a little further starts to flatten out okay to get into mad max territory <laughs> were you anywhere near that desert area though it seems like the outback basically is where you're getting into the desert area in the middle yeah, and i never it's funny it, we're always aware of it, but I never really thought much about it. Okay. I don't think until Mad Max came out. It's not like just, I mean, I'm sure there's people in this country that don't go to the Mojave Desert, don't, don't, ah, yeah. the desert parts of this country. So it's just like you just don't, you know, even though in Australia, the desert co does cover a good portion of it. I mean, most of the population's obviously on the coasts, which is ultimately where I moved back to Sydney and, and did a high school there. Okay. 
Yeah, I think there's probably people that were born and raised in L.A. and have never been to the Mojave <laughs> Desert. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people like that. <laughs> yeah, it's easy to just hang out in your, your area with your people and, and forget about the rest. Not realize there's a whole vast area out there. And it, especially with Australia, too, it's not very populated in the mm -hmm. outback. I mean, there's, there's certainly lots of little towns, but comparatively, it's, it's pretty sparse. And unless you're into the desert, which I'm really not that into the desert. Yet I live in LA. <laughs> Are you more into the sea or like, I feel like there's landscapes that people like. Yeah. Mountains definitely, maybe? I'm definitely drawn to both mountains and ocean and living in California to get both of that. <laughs> right. It is pretty cool. I've met, I have met people that really do connect with the desert and I never even been to the desert until I came out to LA. Really? I, I think my first desert was in Mojave. What was that, Julian? I mean, um, <laughs> Stefan. Uh, I just said I love the desert. Sorry for me to interrupt. You can, you connect with the desert. I love with I love the desert. I love I, I, the desert. Yeah. I I can appreciate it. I just don't want to live. I don't mind visiting. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I went to Zion, mm. up in Utah recently. It was it was spectacular. It's pretty beautiful countryside. And, you know, get great photos, good hikes, all that sort of stuff. But I'm happy to get back in my car and leave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to leave? It's and I was out actually doing a project. Um, right, you see a lot of desert in Australia, though, right? Uh, well, that's the thing. I didn't, I didn't see that much desert. I mean, you can, <laughs> but the areas where I grew up, I just it was it really looked like if you're familiar with uh, Central California, it's just kind of yeah. like rolling hills. In the in the summer, it's it's golden brown. In the winter, it gets very green, and that's kind of how it was where I grew up. It, pretty nice. pretty similar, and it actually snowed a little bit. Oh well. Sometimes you get a couple of feet of snow. It only happens a few times a year, but the you, dead of winter is like August. When is that exactly it's in funny, Australia? I, I've been here so long, I've kind of lost uh -huh. track of that. But obviously, Christmas is hot. Summer, yeah, yeah, and yeah, winter would be kind of around August. Okay, yeah, yeah. I would like, have to look at a calendar because it's it's you know, growing up. You're not really paying that much attention. It's cold. It's hot. Yeah, you know, like oh, it's. But Christmas, you're out on the beach barbecuing, right? Yeah, That's yeah, what I've yeah. heard. In fact, uh, seafood is really popular uh -huh. for Christmas meal. My, my sister, uh -huh. one of the things she does is she's a chef. Okay. She cooks amazing meals, uh, seafood meals at, at Christmas. It, we're growing up, it was more traditional British kind of goose or duck or something like that okay. for, for Christmas meal. But in the past probably 20-odd years in Australia, I think, Especially in places like Sydney, where you get amazing seafood, um, why wouldn't you cook something like that? Why, why, right. why not adapt to the climate rather than being stuck in you know, a British tradition? Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's across for, the for world a, for a different climate, for a different, you know, a, a different time. Those, those uh, traditions came from. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, there's been a lot of. Uh, Asian influences in the past 30 years in Australia. So some of the dishes even have those influences too. Which, uh, it just seems more exciting. Yeah. I mean, Australia is a lot more connected to Southeast Asia and even Japan to a certain degree, Korea, yeah. than any place else. I think it was a shock to very white Australia for a while. But yeah. I feel like every time I go back, I feel like Australia is adapting better and better. Oh, really? Yeah. They wanted to keep with the traditional British ways for a while. <laughs> 
it's it's always hard to change. <laughs> change is slow, I think, any, anywhere. Yeah, but you guys are fucking uh, adapted to the uh, metric system in the 70s. I think having a smaller population, it makes it easier. And the probably, gov- The yeah. government's like, well, you have two years. Right. And so we had a lot of rulers, one-inch rulers that we've had sword fights with when <laughs> in, in primary school. They just threw them out. They yeah, were like, like, no yeah, more inches. Here, here's toys. Here's, yeah, it was like, yeah, exactly. Two years, industry, everyone to, to switch over. So uh, for, for a while when you were a kid, you learned inches for like a month, and then they're like, all right, we're doing centimeters now. I don't even remember learning inches. I, I okay. But inches were around, and my grandfather used them. They, they existed. And obviously when I moved here, yeah, the U.S. I I had to had to learn that. So okay. now I'm it's good. I'm familiar with both. I feel pretty comfortable with both both systems. Do you feel like, man, we're gonna get to the effects talk soon, guys? Oh please! Um, <laughs> but do you, no, it's, do you it's, it's, this it's, deep dive into centimeters and inches? Welcome to Metric <laughs> Talk. <laughs> we're gonna get there. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, pretty much, it's you would like. America to get to the metricism eventually, or do you feel like it it's like be, fuck it, your America just do what you want, or what? It would be great. I mean, I it's funny when I use inches, I like yeah. like decimal inches are cool when I'm sometimes I get to the machine and yeah, do stuff like that. Uh, decimal inches work fine on a certain scale, but overall, I would say metric having used both, metric is easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would lo- I would love for everybody to switch to metric and Celsius. I actually liked using it in Japan. I think it'll very gradually happen here. It's sort of like a <laughs> it should. But in the effect shops, we measure everything in grams. Everything is on gram yeah. scales because it's yeah. easier to use grams than right. it is ounces and, and the like. It's weird. Some of it, like when they tried in the seventies, right in America, yeah, yeah. some and of it's uh, stayed. Yeah, there was a sign. There was that slow switchover, but they didn't enforce it here. Yeah, they, yeah, they didn't yeah. Make it mandatory. It was, yeah. it was, uh, it was an option. Right, and that's the problem. You can't give people options. You got to kind of force when, it. When yeah. you want change to happen, you kind of got to nudge a little harder. Right. All right. Cool. All right. Well, yeah. Back to back Getting to back the to uh, back to the original story here. Um, how different was growing up in the seventies? Correct. Would Mainly seventies. Seventies and eighties. Seventies and eighties in yeah. Australia. How much different is that from growing up in the seventies and eighties? In America, would you say you probably only know that from the movies? But yeah, exactly. I mean, and, uh, the movies give one a perspective, but obviously, it's going to be a more glamorized, yeah, more yeah, exaggerated yeah. perspective. It, yeah, it definitely did. It definitely did seem different, though. I mean, simple things like schools all have uniforms in Australia, even I, public schools. Even public school. I mean, uh-huh. the school I, I actually ended up going to a very, very expensive. Um, high school in sydney uh right where they were very strict we had boaters you know the straw hats we had blades. straw hats yeah we had the rigid <laughs> from the 30s you need and, to send me the picture uh, of you wearing this hat uh, man I, i'm sure there's one of me right there's there's others wearing it okay uh you, you like didn't want to wear it i did not want to wear it. i don't think anyone in the school wanted to wear this stuff but okay. when you had your uniform on and you're walking out in the street you had to have it Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah, you know, the button. Right. Buttoned up blazer, tie, all that sort of stuff. Right. Uh, a black rigid bag, black polished shoes. It was all that stuff. They caned us. Um, <laughs> Whoa. It, it was. It was very. Uh, I took my wife 
when he went out to Australia to just to walk around the grounds of the school and she's yeah. like, "Oh, you you uh, went to Harry Potter school." It's like <laughs> the, the chapel there is all covered with ivy. Um, it's a beautiful school grounds, and we have an amazing view of the Harbour Bridge off in the distance. Not that distant, but I mean, it's right there in the foreground. Mm. And it was definitely, from aesthetic point of view, it was a beautiful place. But I, you know, it's more of a school for politicians, kids, and doctors, lawyers, and like. And I, oh. I never felt like I fit in. You know, the art program there was was pretty minimal. I mean, it was you there, felt like uh, you were like the only art kid, or just one of the few. Other, there are other artists, but I just I I didn't feel like I I um I fit in, which is why I think ultimately I came here with a little more enthusiasm. Uh, <laughs> so all these kids, they just wanted to be lawyers and politicians and shit. I didn't think they knew what they would want to be. <laughs> but they weren't artists. I mean, there were there there was only artists there. I should yeah. put it down. And and going back, the where where the buildings were, they held uh, the, the art classrooms. They had torn all that down because they were, they, they were very shoddy looking buildings. And now it seems like they had, someone had given them some money and they right. produced beautiful buildings with potting wheels and welders. And it's like, oh, why wasn't all this stuff here when, when I was there? So I'm sure times have changed as, as they do. Right. All right. That's cool. Um, so... You work in movies. Yeah. What kind of movies did you really love growing up? What were some of the, like, if you had, like, your top three, maybe, or even number one growing up, when you were a kid, what was, like, what was super inspiring to you at the time? I think, I mean, not to sound, you know, too stereotypical, but I think movies like Star Wars, I mean, uh -huh. it was very prominent when I was growing up. Yeah. Because my, my father was a graphic arts, so he was managed to get a hold of bits and pieces. I think he got a hold of an art, like a cardboard R2-D2 from a theater. Oh, yeah. And I had a lot of his toys and a lot of that stuff definitely was was inspiring. Um, I, I don't think I had any clue that I could actually get into this industry. I remember seeing uh, Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom, and seeing a uh, magazine article where they were showing the... There's a scene where one of the characters gets put into the lava pit mm -hmm. in, a, in a metal cage. And I was done as a miniature. And it was a miniature um, guy that was probably third scale. Yeah. And I remember looking at that going, that, that would be cool to, to, to make that kind of thing. And, oh. Um, and I think those sorts of things stuck in my head. Okay. And, what what about Rick Baker specials on TV or things like that? Was that a thing somehow, in Australia? I think that's I, I missed out on a lot. Of, okay. like I hear all this stuff from effects people here, and I feel like I, <laughs> I, I missed out on a ton of that stuff. They didn't it send never, that our it, way. It never even occurred to me that I could do this stuff. <laughs> okay. And it okay. wasn't wasn't until I came uh, to this country because my father had moved over here. Uh, parents separated. He moved over here. He married an American. Okay. Uh, Christy Marks, who's my stepmother, she's a great person. Anyway, okay. I moved over here, and a friend of my father's happened to be working on V at the time, on the uh, the little eight version of V, and he's like, "Oh, I, I think I, my father had given me some clay. I was playing around with the clay, sculpting some alien or something." And this guy's like, "Yeah, you look like you could do that stuff." So I ended up working in in the miniature shop. Uh, on the, uh, it must have been out here for three weeks or so. And I don't know, I, mean, I, I, I was thinking about it today. It's like, 
it's odd I was coming out here to visit my father. And he's like, yeah, sure, go go and work in a in a snack shop for for a few weeks. Nice. But anyway, I I did that and I I loved doing it. So like I got to see they because they shot uh, the miniatures that they built. You know, they built in one building and then just across across the way they would um, shoot the miniatures. So they had to like the the what looked like a mile diameter spaceship, mm -hmm. which is probably only a few feet in diameter. They had that, they had matte paintings, they had a bunch of miniatures from V, all that stuff there. So getting to see that was, and I was probably like 13 or 14, it just opened my eyes. It was just like, wow, <laughs> people do this stuff and I can do it. I, so you were like, I, I guess labor, labor laws were different or something. Cause I feel <laughs> like you have to be 15 or 16 now. Yeah, you'd think. Well, not sure. I, I feel like I was probably around 14. Okay. That 14, 15, maybe. Okay. When I was doing that. And then you, so you went I, from working I, on V and then back, and then you went back to Australia to, to or was, and or I, what in, happened there at that Australia, point? In Australia, you can finish high school. You can do your school certificate. Yeah. Or you can do your high school certificate. Uh-huh. Because uh, I had an opportunity to maybe get into the effects industry. Yeah. I don't know. I think I was kind of done with the high school. I was like, <laughs> oh, that sounds like a good idea. And my yeah. mother had, I think a few, a year or two before, it kind of had me do a video course where, okay. where I kind of learned basic video production. Okay. And I think that kind of, I'm not even sure why she chose that, but you know, my mother was always trying to push uh, creative stuff and she felt like it was a good idea. So that kind of opened my eyes up a little bit and then coming over here, to the U.S. and and seeing you know uh, effects production happening opened them up a little more, and I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't mind doing that. Your so your father didn't do any effects stuff at all, but he was an artist in he a different did a way. A little bit. He worked on. I mean, predominantly, uh, he, he was an illustrator. He worked, okay. worked at Marvel Comics uh -huh. in the seventies. Uh, he, he worked on on um, Star Lord, which is what. Came Guardians of the Galaxy. Shit, really? Yeah, he did a did a cover. Wow. Um, mostly, they had him doing coloring at Marvel. Okay. Um, you know, because they really, I assume they probably still do it to some extent, but they really break it down to, you know, doing your, your sketches, doing the inking, and doing the coloring is all broken in different departments. Right. And he was more in the coloring department. Okay. So they he was out in the U.S. around '78 was the first time he came out. Okay. And then he came back a few years later and we ended up working on a, there was a book of Scrooge McDuck of like okay. 12 classic stories. And they were, it was a leather bound book. Yeah. Uh, they were selling it at the time for about $250. It was an expensive book and they had $250 and they had him and this is back in the early eighties and they had him color the whole book. So he, you know, he got all the original blue lines that were done in the fifties and sixties by Carl Barks. And he worked with Carl Barks apparently, and and coloured the whole the whole book. And he actually did, got to do some original illustrations as well for that book. Yeah, I've heard cool. I've heard this recently that the Ducktales cartoon that we watched in the late '80s and early '90s that's which based I, on a comic I, that's been going on since the '30s. Yeah, or something. which I sort of I think it was more I feel like '50s '50s, around, but yeah, because it, long it was time. Carl, Carl Barks that created Donald Duck and Huey, Dewey, and Louie, uh -huh. Uncle Scrooge. He was the creator. In fact, my father asked him, he's like, so where's, where's Duckburg? And Carl Barks said, 
I looked out my window in Burbank, and that was Duckburg. Burbank is Bur Duckburg? Sorry, Burbank is Duckburg. <laughs> Did we just break a story right here? <laughs> wow, dude. That's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> Wait, so let's, let's talk about your dad for a second. Sure. So I know, I'm, I'm jumping a lot. No, it's time. cool. It's totally fine. Um, so your dad is just an Australian artist that breaks into Marvel? How does this happen? He uh, I was a commercial artist in Australia. Okay. Uh, he did a lot of stuff. He, he was doing pretty well. He was doing you know, Coca-Cola commercials mm -hmm. and doing a lot of stuff for for radio stations, you know, the equivalent of sort of K-Rock kind of stations. Uh -huh. um, all sorts of graphic art for that. Uh, I remember him doing Tylenol commercials. There was one Tylenol <laughs> ad that he did where if you zoomed in on the bubbles, he put little dollar signs into the bubbles. <laughs> really? So he was always do, you know, doing, being a little submersive wherever he could. <laughs> well. And somehow he got away with it for the most part. Um, it's weird. All right. But yeah, he, he did a lot of commercial art. He also did comic um, work in Australia. I can't remember specifically what that was, but Australian he, comics. Yeah, Australian comics uh -huh. and that style of art. And somehow or another, he got the attention of Marvel, whether he threw his resume over there or what. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, it's odd that I don't know that story, but that's, they, that's he ended up going over there and, and working at Marvel for it was at least six months. He was, okay. He was, over there. he was talking about how he'd be working all night and his water, which his brushes were in, would freeze because they turn off the heat. Oh, shit, really? And it's uh, sure much colder than he was ever used to. Than right. Australia. I mean, New York is a totally different climate from yeah. from, uh, from Australia. Uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of how that happened. And then I guess from that he got a call to do that the Uncle Scrooge book. Okay. And I think somewhere in there he met uh, Christie, and that kind of evolved in in that process. So. Your dad did Guardians of the Galaxy, a cover for that? Yeah, at the time it was called Star-Lord. Just Star-Lord. Yeah. And then th what else? Anything? Um... Uh, what's he doing? I should have looked this stuff up before. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember. I, I can see see the see the artwork, but I can't remember the, the name of the, the comic. But uh, okay. I know he was kind of doing a bunch, bunch of coloring at that time. And he worked around Stan Lee. And, okay. I don't think he had the best. Uh, he, he, he didn't always say the most positive things about Stanley, but I, I think it's because Stanley was more of a salesperson. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I don't think yeah. he was into that. You know, he was more into the people who did the work. Yeah. And I think Stanley is good at selling the work, but you kind of need salespeople too, because if you don't have people to sell the work. Yeah. Then, but although my father was pretty good at selling himself, so. Yeah, I mean, if he's just he could work out. I mean, we lived. Five hours, four to five hours drive from Sydney, mm -hmm. and he was always—I mean, he was always going to Sydney. But he kept himself busy, even when he lived in this country. He ended up living up Central California, and he was always—he would always get work. He would always keep himself busy. He was very good at promoting himself. Was he into comics at all, or was it just a job? He, no, he loved comics. Oh when yeah. When I was growing up, there were tons of comics around. I mean, I, I was 
somewhat interested. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's funny. It's some you know, some kids want to love to read comics. And yeah, don't let them. Well, if your dad I, was super into, I, I, I was around them, and it's like, yeah, I'll read them. Sure. <laughs> right. But it right. didn't feel like it was something I had to do. Right. Um, and my stepmother Christy, she still has a decent comic collection. She was a huge number. Okay. When I first moved over here and stayed with them, the room I was in had thousands of comics all carefully cataloged and in the right plastic and acid-proof boxes and all that sort of stuff. Backed and boarded. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Backed and boarded, baby. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Um, and are, we, are we getting somewhere here? We, we, are, we, we, are, we, are, we are making headway. Good. No, it's good, man. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Um, we talked a lot about your dad. Yeah. So your mom, what did she do? Uh, my mother, when I was growing up, she was more sort of, you know, looked out for the family and, and, okay. and did that side of things. When my parents separated, she had to kind of throw herself back in the work world, which I didn't think was any easy task. Um, but ultimately, she and a, and a good friend of hers um, they started up a secondhand clothing store, which turned into a costume shop which then they had the costume for a shop for at least 10, 15 years. They did really well. And at that period of time in the 80s and early 90s, costume parties were really popular in Sydney. Mm. So it was sort of a good time and they would make costumes. I sort of regret not being able to help them more because I feel like with doing effects work kind of you know shifts into prop work and i always feel like oh, i should be making stuff for them but uh, you get busy in the in this industry and you barely have time to make anything for yourself right 12 hour days a lot of the time but yeah she uh she and a friend did did very well out of that what kind of costumes we're talking about like ghosts and spider-man or something like like normal kind of halloween costumes or what yeah i think all your standard sort of halloween costumes and and they would create stuff for oh yeah people. i mean people were like oh i kind of want this and this and they would modest they'd spend all night modifying stuff for people wow and they really put and it wasn't just like picking stuff off the rack in some cheesy you know pop-up halloween store it was like they they would do a song and dance around their customers and their customers loved them and they would really put a lot of effort into this stuff Okay. They were, at one point, they the early '90s, they came over here to the U.S. and they ended up doing a bunch of shopping, and they spent days on Melrose Boulevard and and, oh. and, and shipped boxes and boxes of stuff home. That stuff that they didn't feel like they could find so easily in Australia. Uh, they, they had a great time here. So you both had some sort of an artistic background on both yeah, your father and I your mean, mother's side. My mother was definitely creative. I, it, didn't know whether she had all the avenues to express them. Mm-hmm. My father, I think, took more advantage of that. But they're definitely both creative. So, yeah, and my sister does illustration. She's a chef and and illustrator. So it's it's we're we're, we're, dr- we're drowning in it. She's a, she's a paid <laughs> illustrator. Uh she sells her work. She does her oh, own yeah. work, and she um, she sells prints and the like. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, and let's do the full color coverage on the Ledger family here. Sure. You have an aunt that did script writing for Sierra Games, the I old PC that's, company. That's nice. Christy, that's my, that's my stepmother. Your stepmother, Christy gotcha. Marks. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. And she, she, um, I don't think she originally created Gem, the the animated show, 
I don't know, you must be familiar. Yeah, with Jim it. and the Misfits, yeah. Exactly. She uh, created the Bible for that. I think they came with a concept of yeah. like, do something with this. Yeah. She created the Bible. She wrote a bunch of episodes. So she was heavily involved with that. She also, I, I have a resume in front of me, but I know she did a, a lot of work in, in with comics. Uh, okay. She created a, a, uh, a comic called Sisterhood of Steel that was pretty popular. Okay. Uh, with was it Eclipse Comics, that she, I think she was working with Eclipse Comics, and then yeah, she she got into video game stuff with Sierra Online, and both okay. my father and and she went up to Oakhurst, which is where they were. I don't know whether they still are located, but they were located there, and did a is month, it near Seattle. No, uh, no, it's like um, north of Fresno, which is oh, the center okay. of California, so okay. like between Fresno and Yosemite. Okay, Close gotcha. to Yosemite. It's up. Okay. You know, unlike Fresno, it's kind of up in a beautiful. I thought area. Sierra was in Washington State for some reason. It's okay. And <laughs> they, I think my father, he did a bunch of video game covers for okay. them, and he also did a bunch of art. But unfortunately, it was a period of time where graphics were really limited. Yeah. Sixteen colors. I think he felt really restricted as an illustrator. He worked in the office for a few months and kept on getting sick. And he's like, I need to work at home. So they set mm -hmm. him up at home with a computer at, at his place. And he did the work. And as soon as he was finished, he boxed it all up, put it in the car, drove it back and told him he never wanted to see it again. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he didn't like doing the video game work as much. Yeah. And I think it was because at that time, video games were extremely limited. I mean, it's not like mm -hmm. now. I mean, now video games, uh, you have to look twice to see if it's not a film that you're looking at at times with some of the clips that you see. I mean, this stuff is really impressive. I mean, back at that time, but this it, might even, when when your dad was working, yeah. it was probably before this, but there's a famous, famous example of how bad this was at the time was there's a game called Mega Man mm -hmm. and there's the early box art, I think was all done by one guy, at least the first few of them. And the guy only received like one or two pictures, I think, of the main character, which was just a little so it was totally inaccurate eight bit thing. <laughs> and he had to do this like whole oil painting base. I think it was oil painting. And he's holding a gun in it and shooting. But the thing is, the character is supposed to be a robot where his hand becomes a blaster type of gun. But he in this on this cover that's that you can still see today that they used to sell the game. He's holding a gun, That's like, like a regular didn't, pistol. Didn't, didn't someone have a little chat with him and say, no, it's actually not that. It's they did, they just didn't give a shit. No one cared about it at the time, apparently. So Yeah, and video game. I mean, the game covers that he did, I, I think there was there was a, a Grail game that, that they, I should know, actually, I think I have a credit on, on that game. I did something to help with the graphics and, and somehow or another got a credit on that game. Oh, really? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's totally farcical covers. I mean, the co covers are these action sequences that are beautifully rendered in, yeah. in acrylics uh, and the like. Little to do with with these sixteen color games that exist within. Um, yeah, that's the weird thing about that time too, because a lot of the game art, the, the cover art, would be great, but when you would actually play the game, it looked totally different. Because they didn't have the fucking <laughs> might, capability. Might a little, little, dis, little disappointing. Yeah. Though. And I remember around that time I went into Sierra and yeah. they had taken one of my, my father loved doing illustrations of uh, German, he really liked it, German aircraft, World War II aircraft. Oh, yeah. And he'd done this uh, painting of, of two fighter aircraft against like 
rocky cliffs at sunset so the cliffs had salmon colors and then you could oh. see the blue sky and you could see the underside of the planes as they were banking along and they'd scan that image in 256 colors and 256 is enough to make a, a an image look decent right that's what a gif is right um and i think he could start to see what the possibilities i mean this was like early 90s so okay Photoshop, I think, may have existed in its early forms, but he didn't have access to that. It, it saddens me a little bit that because unfortunately he was he was killed in a in an auto accident in '94, so he missed out on on what happened after that. This was a drunk driving incident, or how much do you want to no, get this? No, it's fine. He just he he had um, he he was driving from he'd been doing work in uh, Monterey. Yeah, and he was driving back to uh, he lived in, uh, around Oakhurst area, and missed his exit. Was on a different road, and okay. he, he missed a stop sign. Went through. He wasn't speeding or anything. He just didn't. I think it was partially tree covered, and he was hit by a like a large semi trailer. Oh shit, man! Totally broadside in ninety four. Yeah, so. Yeah, so missed out on a lot of lot of really cool stuff and that, and I think he would have appreciated. It. I remember as a child, um, he'd give me stacks of magazines to look for reference, and it's like now you can just click Google open and type yeah. what you want. You he missed the internet basically. Yeah, he missed the internet. He missed he missed all this amazing stuff that we have. And Star Lord becoming a huge thing. Yeah, yeah, and he would wow. appreciate. He loves he loves Spider Man. He would have, I think he would have really appreciated how they made that spider-man suit look like the comic right in the meet recent so, one yeah and all the superhero stuff where they they go above and beyond to make those suits look even cooler than than the way they represent in comics and, right yeah you know, they don't always pull it off but a lot of the times that stuff looks looks spectacular i think right all right um let me see here um so there, was there a special effects artist that you admired growing up? You said you, said you didn't really um, yeah, I get Rick like, Baker's special yeah, I, effects things. I, I, I didn't get his blogs. <laughs> Fangoria <laughs> magazine didn't make its way to Australia? I, I think until, I, I mean, I'm sure it was there, but I also, I grew up in the country where the nearest movie theater was 30 miles away. Oh, shit. Okay. It, it was an effort just to see... See, and then I, I did go to high school in Sydney for a while and I had more access to things. But I think I missed out on on a lot of that stuff. And it wasn't until I... I think there was some movie um, magazines that that my father had, the behind-the-scenes stuff, where I was mentioning they had the Temple of Doom stuff with the third-scale guy going into the lava. And that stuff, and you know, stuck in my head. Because I've always... I've loved art. I loved science. Those things are what really drive me, and I think that's what the effects industry has a lot of that. Right. Um, you know, you you have to solve problems. And right. You have to do it creatively, and there's and there's aesthetics involved, and, and all that tied together is really exciting. So I think that's that's what's driven me more than any one makeup effects artist. I mean, there was. Um, I'm trying to think of the, 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 the I, I should know his name off the top of my head, and I, I'm. And Winston, Rick Baker. Keep going down. <laughs> oh, um, man, I don't know. Uh, Steve Johnson. I had worked for him, and uh, I mean, wor working for him was was great because I, 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 um, 
got to do some really cool stuff and that was a shop where where quality i felt like quality was important mm-hmm. uh, even though steve johnson is crazy <laughs> I, on the I, record i'm sure i'm sure he would say the same himself yeah but it just seemed like he had a strong desire to whatever came out of that shop had to look really good and right it, it was enjoyable to work somewhere where that was that was important because it is often you work at places where it's, it's more important just to get it done on time and it's like no i we want to we want to push things a little bit further cool so it's it seems like kind of like you're since you were so far out in the country living in a place of 380 people <laughs> Your dad was probably the main influence on you, and not and not even like Rick Baker stuff yeah, or think, Fangoria think, magazine or anything that, like that's that. That's true. I think I think my father did have have a lot of influence. And, I mean, obviously, and he wasn't even around that much because he was constantly traveling to Sydney, and ultimately he, he traveled over here. So, but when he was around, I certainly hung out in the studio and watched him illustrate. Um, and he was also inspiring in terms of what he talked about. He would talk about science. He'd explain how the world works or how mm-hmm. things work and made me want to think about, you know, pulling things apart. I mean, I think that maybe they came naturally as well. Yeah. It's like if I had a pair of scissors and I could pull pull an object apart, I would. Right. I, you know, I wanted to understand how, how every object worked. <laughs> Oh, really? So you'd be taking apart your microwave or some shit? Yeah, uh, I think I was probably maybe six years old. I remember being out in the shed, pulling a the cover off a really old light switch. It was probably an electrical stuff from the twenties. I have a feeling twenties or thirties. And I think my grandfather walked in on me, horrified, seeing me pull apart this <laughs> light switch. But I knew that I didn't touch anything. I knew it was dangerous. To yeah, touch. I just wanted to see the mechanics. Uh, my father was like collecting uh, obscure items like old slot machines and pinball machines and and the slot machines he had were the mechanical variety they weren't electronic in any uh, way so they were filled with gears and governors and and all and springs and all sorts of things and i'd sit and watch how that like how when you pull a lever what's that doing i think i I really enjoyed mechanical stuff so if it wasn't for art you'd probably be in that field yeah, I every so often they let me uh, machine things and use the the mills and lathe and so on. I love doing that stuff, but I think ultimately I'm more drawn to to drawing, to sketching, to creating uh, and designing and the like. I can paint a creature or draw something like that up. That's that's that ultimately feels more inspiring. Right. But I love the mechanical stuff too. It's like I I feel lucky that I'm in an industry where a lot of that stuff gets covered. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you ever done any animatronics work? Uh, I've helped out with it. Okay. I haven't taken something from from start to finish. I've just okay. I've been involved with making it of it. It's like, oh, make this part, or or I've been handed. I mean, I remember years ago, there was a mechanical fish to make for a commercial, and the guy who had started the mechanics had to leave for another project, so okay. I ended up finishing the mechanics, and I think I. Did the skin and painted the skin. I basically took the whole thing from from start to finish. It wasn't beautiful. wasn't the most amazing thing, but it worked. It got got us through the commercial. I think it was my first SAG gig. Oh shit! Okay. All right. Let me see what else we got here. Um. So you came in and you started. 
you basically came to America when you were like 15? Yeah. For good? Probably, yes. Yeah, should look it up. It was around 15, 16, around that age. And then and your then, your then first gig was The Blob in 1988? First gig was actually uh, Alan Quarterman, Lost City of Gold. Okay. I think it's on. Think yeah, it's it on actually there. is. I'm is sorry. I think I missed that. That's okay. Yeah. I think that was the first, and I was underage. I think I was 17. <laughs> okay. I think I was 17 when I started that. So I had to lie about my age and say I was 18. Mm. Uh, and I was working with the guy that got me on, um, uh, who was on V. Okay. And we ended up sculpting these huge statues that were 10 feet tall out of wet clay. Okay. Uh, I had to make uh, 2,000 gold bricks. And for some reason, they put someone who knew nothing <laughs> in charge. I made, I made the original gold brick, I made a mold. And then we had to make a gang mold and make thousands. It seems like at that time, it was just like the Wild West. It was like, have you ever looked at a picture of gold bricks? All right, you're yeah. the gold brick guy. Yeah, you do it. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty, pretty, it was pretty nice. Like now it would be like, so have you studied gold bricks in college? And do you have a degree? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they just care a lot more now, seemingly. To some extent. I mean, although it's amazing how that still kind of happens you just get handed stuff because you say yes i can do that right yeah yeah and, i mean you see it you work yeah you've been working where, where i've been working you it's a, it's amazing what uh how little information you're given at times yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, i mean sometimes they get caught up in details that you'd be surprised by by the by tiny minutia by the, the smallest thing it holds up the whole process and then other times they just hand stuff off and it's like yeah that's it right yeah yep good enough it's the entertainment business <laughs> yeah it's, it's nuts yeah it's it's, it's kind of <laughs> weird it, it hasn't changed you know the, the the faces and people change but the the yeah uh, uh, you know the the attitudes are the same <laughs> I mean, it's even yeah, for, even from back then when you even, were yeah, doing yeah. V and everything. And there's a lot lot more women in the industry, which is great. Uh, I mean, it used to be really male dominated. It was really male dominated, and that's right. That's fantastic to right. see that shift. Um, right. Yeah, I, I feel like things on the whole are getting better. We're working less crazy hours. I mean, when I first started doing all nighters, was just kind of a oh yeah, that's just part of what you do. You right. Work all night. Right. What's the big deal? And you work 12, 14, work seven days a week. And that was not bizarre. <laughs> but, but now, you know, shops, uh, I think it's partially laws that thankfully have kind of been pinged. And maybe the people doing the effects have gotten a little older and have families and they don't really yeah. work as crazy hours. So, yeah, things have, have improved. Cool. Um So, do you see yourself mainly as a painter or a sculptor or just a special effects makeup artist in general? Just I, I where well, I sort of label myself as a as an effects artist, and I, you know, I'm probably the majority of the time I do painting. Okay, I do some sculpting and some fabrication, and I get to do some design illustration. Um, I, I like it when I can see a project from, from beginning to end or be involved in, in different aspects rather than getting just stuck in one department. Right. I mean, it, it's the advantage of being in one department is you really get to hone your skills, but it's, it's 
it's not as satisfying just seeing one element of the process and seeing, you know, seeing stuff come in. It's like, well, why is that like, okay, well, that's how it is. And I'm just going to, you know, just, you know, sometimes it's amazing. Sometimes it's not, but you have no control over what's, what's come to you. And that can be a little frustrating. It feels a little more factory-like when you, when you adjust in one area. Used to do a gag from start to finish, I heard, where if you did like this gunshot wound or whatever, you would be the sculptor and painter. Maybe, I don't know, but I've heard that like you kind of did there, it there all the more, way until set and you applied it on set as well because that was, was your thing. There was more of that, I think. Uh-huh. I feel like people were involved in more steps. And it depends on the size of the production, size of the shop. I think, you know, the larger the shop, the more it's compartmentalized. Yeah. And the bigger the show, the more compartmentalized it is. You work on a smaller, smaller movie, you get to do more. You know, you work in a garage shop or something like that. I, yeah. I worked on a movie called The Nest, and we were doing everything. That's, in a garage? Yeah, basically out of a garage. <laughs> well, wow. all right. We had yeah. Roger Corman walking across the lawn <laughs> to, 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 to take a look at what, what we're up to. <laughs> all right. The Nest. I don't think I've seen that. Yeah, I don't think that's on the IMDb list. <laughs> I should stick it up there, see if it stays. I'm always, always curious to know who's there checking on IMDb because you put it up and a few weeks later, it may or may not end up on there. Usually it does. Or it's got to wait until NDA's passed, things like that, right? Yeah, there's that, but it's... I don't know if they... I don't know how they decide you actually did work on it because there's... It must be at the producer level or some lower lower level producer has to update that for everyone. There must be somebody that they hire for that. No idea. I mean, who who are these people thousands though? Thousands of people punching in what the, I did this and this on a show. I mean, right. It would be their expensive endeavor to, to fully research that. I had two for cause I, I had one I made myself in college just to prepare for whatever. Yeah. And then another one that was made by somebody else that started putting your, your some things that, i mean it was accurate but it was yeah. still like i didn't make this one so i had to combine them eventually um yeah i'd love to know how that works yeah i have no <laughs> idea what was the movie that you worked on that you considered the toughest most challenging film it's challenging it's a good question they all seem pretty damn challenging when you're in the thick of it either technically <laughs> challenging or because of the people working on, I don't know how much you want to get into that part, but yeah, I um, was, uh, I am legend was was probably less so for me just watching what was happening around it. Was that production nuts or what? Production was 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 little. Uh, you know, being the thing is being an, on the effects side of things, we're a small part, and as digital encroaches more and more, we get you know, our part on things is smaller and smaller. So I always look at us like we're the plumber that's come in for a day or two to to do whatever it is. So we're we're the production's got so many other things that they're thinking about. We're just kind of like, oh, you, you know, yeah, you you, we're barely on their radar. Right. So I think that's why a lot of stuff and until I actually need that thing in front of the camera and then suddenly we're very important. But prior to that, they, they're barely even thinking about us. And I think that's part of the issue. Certainly no exception on, on I'm Legend because there was they would send people to New York and 
then they'd be sending them to the airport and then they'd get a call from the airport going, well, where are you? Where's the effect? And they're like, well, you sent us to the airport. So um, we were actually going home. And sometimes in one occasion, it was an effect that they'd canceled a month prior to that. Oh, really? So not only are we leaving, but we don't have that effect because you, you cancel it. Is that a fault with the assistant director, you think, or it's just well, different every no time? No idea. It, it, it amazes me. And then <laughs> I, I think also new people are constantly coming into the film industry. So it's like, I think things get forgotten. I, I think things have to be relearned constantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a certain amount of stuff that, that people know and people don't screw up too often but then there's a bunch of other stuff that i think just kind of just falls for the crack because it's this constant flow of new people and you know movies you put together your crew and it's a whole different set of people each time right even if it's some of the same core people there's a lot of new people around it so i think it just opens up lots of opportunities for scheduling screw-ups and you know and you're putting talent you know you're putting it artistic ideas against money it's yeah the more money the less control man <laughs> yeah i mean the more arguments the more they're gonna really drill down on well is this what we want right because i'm i'm paying for this too man and then you know being in an effect shop you're so far away from most of that <laughs> yeah that's the other thing that i think that's maybe i don't know i'm still new to this whole thing but the it seems like there might be a disconnect with people on set and people uh, in the actual effects shop, because people on set they don't know what the fuck is going on in the effects shop. Yeah. Like this, this, like let's say a gag that's been work, been working on for two months uh, by one dude, just just chipping away every day for eight hours a day for two months, and they get sent this gag on set, and it's just like this magical thing that shows up. Like, all right. It's here. You know, like they don't think about, they probably, no one's really thinking about how much time went into that thing. They, they, they have no clue. They right. It just appears in front of them. Yeah. And it's like, and sometimes they're like, oh, cool. That's great. And sometimes they're like, oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I, I remember on last Samurai, the uh, director on that, we'd been there a month mm -hmm. kind of tweaking the mechanical horse that we had built that Tom Cruise was going to be on. Right. And the, the director and the, the the whole you know production group come come into this warehouse because we were out of town a bit so it was a bit of a drive for them to get to and the director's looking at us like oh wow i wish i'd known about this earlier we could have used this for a bunch of things <laughs> they they didn't know what they didn't know what they had <laughs> some of the time. They, you know, they, they, these are you know there are so many wheels in a production i mean yeah. amazing films get made I, I sit and watch films sometimes and i am just amazed that it's actually that good. It all comes together, and it, yeah. and it yeah. seems cut together, and it actually makes some sense. Right. <laughs> and yeah. Things look, you know, the makeups that people have done look, uh, the continuity looks decent, and you know, the lighting it amazes me when I watch outdoor scenes, and you know, mm -hmm. the sun is moving. And you know, it's taken them all day to shoot that scene. Right. And uh, and if the DP's done their job right it'll look seamless you won't even think about the especially fact. the older movies now yeah. they got color corrections so. yeah yeah exactly and you don't have issues if you're shooting digital you don't have issues with with different film stock i mean once upon a time you had to buy make sure you had the same stock film for that scene otherwise you right have a color correction nightmare right and you still you see it in older films you see that 
shift in color suddenly happen where the color mm-hmm. timing is off. Right. I don't even know how they did it back then, man. I have no idea. <laughs> I, and I've used, I mean, I've worked in optical houses. I've done some miniature work and watched them with all their, their chloroethylene bars that they run the film through and all that toxic environments to be in especially <laughs> editing back then yeah. on the steamback machines yeah. holy shit man like i edit now but i've i've grew up yeah. in the digital age we, we got it easy yeah really easy i mean especially like how many if they made an actual cut i don't even i mean i'm sure there's an answer to this but like <laughs> how did how did, it just amazes me like how they they probably had to make several different copies just for the editor several different prints of every yeah. take yeah every reel ever and put that there and editing must have been a fucking nightmare yeah. for the longest time. I mean, more films were edited that way than there have been digital, I assume. And we watch them without with barely even thinking about it. Nobody I, even thinks about I'm, it. I'm sure you think about it. I mean, when you do it, when you do these things. Yeah. Anyway, if, if it's a good film and the script is good, you don't think about it too much because hopefully you're thinking about yeah. the film, but it's still there. It's still yeah. present in your mind. I mean, I watch... Thankfully, I can kind of involve myself in a film and not get too caught up in how it's done. But there are times when I look at stuff and it's like, how how did they do that? I, I now and then that stuff's distracted me a little bit. Right. Yeah. Something about the effects part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's 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 my world. So I mean, sometimes it's other things, but it's mostly mostly effects stuff. Right. And even digitally, I mean, you know how much the they can do digitally but there's still stuff that's like well they, have, they they do create whole worlds out of out of almost nothing yeah it's <laughs> it's amazing any movie exists really <laughs> yeah, <laughs> i mean it's almost of, like it's nearly impossible to lot, make lot, a lot of time movie. and money and thought and and, <laughs> and mistakes and, and insanity and when we get to see a little glimpse a little tiny glimpse of that right probably a lot of it has to do with making it all in pre like getting most of it kind of figured out in pre-production. Cause once you get into production, it's kind of already set in stone for the most the, part. The, the wheel is, you know, that, that big wheel is moving. Yeah. It's all turning. And that's the other thing when you're on, when you're on location, I mean, it's, it's like, it's like a huge military operation without all the killing and the like. But well, with, it's, with it's, everything it's, being hierarchical on set too, everybody having like their own different. And there's all these departments and they yeah. I've worked on stuff quite a few times out in Mexico and various other locations. And, and you, we just kind of descend on these locations. <laughs> hundreds yeah. of people yeah. with little vehicles and big vehicles and yeah. trucks and, and getting all that stuff organized. And then, then we all get to be fed at least once a day. Right. And there's catering and, and the meals aren't just simple meals. They're full on catered lunches that are out in the middle of nowhere. I, I think I was working on Red Planet uh-huh. and we were in the middle of dust dust storm and they're trying to keep the tents and we got this full-on meal happening inside the tent and everybody's big dirty bowls of water that people are just kind of sticking their hands in to get some of the some of the dirt off before they walk into the tent oh wow, uh, wow. It's, it's amazing that this stuff happens I mean, it it's really like a huge really... traveling gypsy type yeah. thing on a large scale and we are gypsies yeah I mean, people go from job to job. I've heard like Henry Cavill, the guy that plays Superman now, he said something like, it's hard to, it's hard to make long lasting relationships sometimes because you'll be months all day, every day with somebody for a long, for, for several months. And then boom, boom, you're done. It's, it's over on to the next project. And when you're there, it seems like the most important thing. Yeah. 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 You get so fully 
invested in in doing what you're doing and doing the best you could do and and you're putting so many hours into that 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 is your world and that's all those people that's their world for that and then yeah it just suddenly it's it the light gets turned off and that's it is that something that you like or do, or do you I, want I, more permanence or i i have to say i do I, I i don't want to be on set all the time but i do enjoy being on set uh -huh. some of the time because there is an energy on set of getting stuff done where you've got this whole team of people focused on getting one thing done right everyone just wants to get it right get it done they, you know people each department knows what they're doing the, the lighting is is right the props are right that you know every little detail is put together for this tiny little thing sometimes right and being part of that is i i can understand it's 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 oh. nope okay I, I can understand how enticing that is it's it's pretty it's it's it, it has a drug-like quality to it but you still have a little bit of that even working offset going from project to project right yeah but when you're, on, house when you're house. on set it's it's dialed up I don't know. Yeah, that's people, true. That's true. I don't know how people do it day in, day out for months on end. Yeah. I mean, I have done that, but it, the, the thing is, I, you know, like say Monkey King, I was on that for three months. Mm -hmm. But then people go straight on to another project that goes for three months. It's like, how do you keep that in? <laughs> I, I, I they got a mortgage, man. Maybe, maybe go back to a shop and you get to, I mean, it's still hard work in the shop, but the intent, you know, the spotlight isn't on you at that time yeah the when spot, it when it's set, when it's on set it's real go time it's like yeah you know and suddenly something you've spent days or weeks or whatever finessing suddenly it's like eh, just put some black paint on it just put some slime on it just let's just right we're just going to get this shot just tack it together wire it together do whatever you can but i in some ways i like that because suddenly the pressure of perfection is turned off and it's just getting that shot and that can be really exhilarating so you so you actually like working under pressure to a certain degree? Sort of oddly enough, I, I would deny that, and yet, <laughs> and, and yet, I, there's a part of it that, as I said, it does have a drug-like quality to mm. it. It's like being under under that scrutiny for that moment. It's kind of cool, and especially when, when it's all working. When it's not, it can be really right. And when it ends, it, you feel depleted. When your job's all over, it's playing here at home. It's like, what do I do? Right. Even though there's, there's plenty to do, but you feel like everything has been sucked out of you for a moment. You feel very empty. You have PTSD of, <laughs> of set life. Yeah, without, without, without all the risk of, of death and the like. Yeah, yeah I'm just, just joking <laughs> around. That was a joke. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, let us now enter into the Chris Farley Show segment of this episode which is um did you watch snl in the 90s when chris farley was on a little bit i wasn't i never had cable and <laughs> I, I missed out on a lot of that stuff but i watched bits and pieces of it so. okay so this ep this part of the show is i just call it this because in that sketch he would always be like he would literally have um like paul mccartney would be on there yeah. and oh, yeah. he would be like <laughs> Uh, so the Beatles, what was that like? <laughs> <laughs> so it is awesome. Yeah, and, and then they'd be like, "Oh, that was, it was the stuff fun. that was in their movies." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of what this is. Um, so I actually let's open it up with Maddie. Maddie, I think you got. You probably have a couple, correct? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take it away, nice. Maddie. 
Um, okay, I'll start with the Blob, the 1988 one, because I the the effects in that movie are fucking great and gross, and I just remember being amazed by them. Did you get to work on like what did you do on the set of the Blob? Uh, on on the Blob, I worked. Uh, the Blob shop was divided into Tony Gardner's side and uh, and the Blob shop side, which I think Lyle Conway was in charge of that, and they. They ended up replacing him with Stuart Ziff. And so I, I was literally, I had sculpted blobs, pseudopods or tentacles. Uh, I got to do painting. I got to work on um, some of the effects gags, like at the beginning where the old guy is prodding at the uh, the blob with a stick. Yeah. The blob leaps up and slides <laughs> up the stick and onto his arm. We, we built that whole effect. And they wanted mm. it all to happen in one one shot where it would come up the stick up his arm and then shift color and i don't think we quite figured out the shift color but we got most most of the gag and then he started chopping at his arm i think <laughs> i feel like i need to see that again I, I haven't seen it in years. it's been a while but yeah it's been a long long time but i i feel like i was happy with what was done on that there were, there were effects in that that almost looked cg way before there was cg in, in a good way yeah Oh yeah, it's on Hulu right now. I like oh, I, it's just yeah. like uh, for Halloween they put it up, and I was like, "Oh, I'm watching this. I love this movie." But and I, and I got to do some a um, little bit of puppeteering. I think before I even knew what SAG was, I got to do some. <laughs> they took advantage of you. They took advantage of us. Yeah, we, we, and we would mix up methicil, which is a slime that, or one of the types of slime that we used on the blob, would mix up literally um uh, trash can 33 gallon trash cans of that stuff and we were covered at the end of the day we were covered with slime because we'd be, they would make i don't know how much you know about the 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 the, the how stuff was made, built but we would make these big quilts out of silk and then they were painted and they, they were divided into little pockets that could be filled up with the meth cell and you'd have these quilts that would weigh hundreds of pounds and they were used both for the full size blob and also for the miniature scenes and the miniature stuff it was all shot up at dream quest and it was the you know the 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 live action stuff and the miniature stuff was all done within you know stages apart and we would be working on both which is kind of cool that it was all there it wasn't divided into different departments per se um, yeah, one more question for the like. Oh. So, uh, were a lot of the gags like storyboarded out, or was some of it just like, "Oh, this will look real cool." We were messing around with this in the shop. Would you get? Let's we, shoot this. We, or we definitely messed around with stuff in the shop, but there was there was especially back then. I think there was more storyboarding because you're shooting on film. Yeah, you couldn't go back and look at what you shot. I mean, you have to look at dailies, which were why they called dailies. They were the next day. So you you really wanted to be a little clearer on what you what what you're recording. Uh, so yeah, I, I feel like stuff was storyboarded uh, far more so than that. I mean, you still see storyboards and that happens, but it seems to happen less. Let's say <laughs> things people right. people sort of uh, I don't know that they uh, they do stuff in the moment a lot more. Which can be good, but right. it, it's it makes it difficult for effects people because you have to build stuff and stuff is built for a specific purpose. And if you wanted to do more, you want to see 
you know, more of a 360 degree, then it's going to cost more. It's going to take more time to build. Yeah. But yeah, it, it, stuff was definitely boarded out, but there was definitely a lot of experimentation too. Cool. And then moving on, uh, everyone here on Superhouse Podcast knows I'm a huge Alien fan. Yeah. What did you do? <laughs> I mean, how, how, how couldn't you be an Alien fan? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's true, but I do love those movies. <laughs> Even if I don't particularly like them, I still like them because there's an alien in it. So the, the design of the alien is so compelling. It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Interrupt oh. You. Oh no, you're fine. Uh, yeah, I was just asking, like, what did you do on that? What'd you work on? on um, I, I worked on Resurrection at ADI, anyway. and it was right after Starship Troopers. And I think I hadn't seen Starship Troopers, but I was sitting right next to the brain bug. Oh. <laughs> right. no, yes. I, no, I, no idea what the time was. <laughs> it was just this big thing, and it's like, oh, yeah, the Starship Troopers. It's often you you hear about stuff that you don't know what it is. And then, right. and then a you know a few months later, it's like, oh, that's what they were talking about. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's I, afraid. Predominantly <laughs> on on for that film, I worked on the uh, the Queen and newborn sequence. Yeah. I, I sculpted the big egg sack for that, and okay. then I, I worked with another guy, Luke Conlon, who uh, redid all the mechanics for the Queen alien. We we used the original head, that big long queen head yeah. that was from aliens uh, alien 2 and uh, yeah we just pulled all, all the mechanics out redid the skins and uh, I, I did a bunch of fabrication on it at the time i wasn't doing much painting at that shop i was doing more okay. fabrication sculpting cool. and then on alien covenant uh i happened to be back there because my mother was unfortunately ill uh, and I, fortunately, I got work there, and I started out in the prop shop. I painted a bunch of guns and various other props, and then I was pushing for the creature department, which is kind of where I wanted to end up. <laughs> yeah. Right. And thankfully, they uh, they looked at my stuff and they said, "Come on, come on in." And I got to paint on the actual alien. I got nice. to paint on the uh, the the neomorph. Yeah, the neomorph, and worked on on the suits and the heads for that. Uh, working with with the guys from Odd Studio, Adam and and um, um, uh, Damien, which were, those guys were great to work with. Really, uh, you know, they were they're all super nice. Um, just just fun to work with, and I I learned a lot working there. It's really good working in other countries because you get to see different ways of of doing stuff. I, you always learn stuff, and I, I definitely did on that show. That was a shop in Australia. Yeah, it was uh, on. They, I don't know what they always do it, but it seems like in Australia they often do these big films on the lot. In this case, on the Fox lot, and so you've got. Uh, it's like it's almost like the way they used to do it here with the costume department and crop shop and and creature shop and all all those shops all within a you know. Right on the lot. With yeah, the right on the lot. Yeah, either a few feet away or you know a little drive away. I'd I'd like for that to still be the case because it would be cool to kind of walk to the other departments. It's, it's hey, it's, what's going on, guys? Yeah, and it's it's communications a little better maybe. Yeah, because you can actually walk and see what other people are doing. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it, it was a really good experience. Uh, really, I I didn't get to complete it because I ended up coming 
coming back here. Uh, you know, all of this. My unfortunately, my mother was ill, and she ended up dying from cancer in this no, middle true. middle of all this. So after that, I kind of ended up coming back here before that show was over. Ah, uh, okay. Just had a lot of loose loose ends to deal with. Mm -hmm. Real life to uh, <laughs> yeah. seems seems to poke its way in. But it was a, it was a good experience, and it was great being able to work on a second Alien film. I mean, yeah. I, I, my father loved Giga's stuff. So uh -huh. I got to work on Species Two, and he came to the shop at one point on that. Giga did, yeah. Okay, I, no, I didn't good. say anything. I I saw him kind of talking to people. Mm -hmm. I didn't get to go trotting up to him, but it was kind of cool. We work on on it. You know, his designs. Uh, they're really powerful designs. I mean, I think yeah. people are based. You know, the the alien is the basis of I think so many other characters, right? Since since that time, yeah. I I've said this a number of times. It's like you look back, what was the design in the seventies? Look back twenty years from the fifties, and then you look forward twenty years. Stuff hasn't changed that much, yeah. From Giga stuff, but it changed a huge amount from. From the fifties to to that point, right? I, I think he really he really put a stamp on that design. I mean, I'm looking forward to the next leap in in creature design. That would where, be interesting. Where, wherever yeah. the hell that goes, yeah. And it's it's yeah. it's it's hard to stray away from because I love drawing creatures, and it's hard not to slip back into gigarish looking stuff, right? But at the same time, it's you know it's inspiring. I feel like the guy who did the clover filled monster and then he did the star trek that red monster yeah uh, i feel like his designs are pretty uh interesting for like creature design because he messes with like proportion and like li ligaments and stuff yeah I and think just people... like when that came out i was like that looks really interesting and it's really hard to like see something new a lot like if you love creature movies because you've kind of seen it you know yeah i i think but, yeah that stuff I, you know there's definitely departures there's definitely people who are who are making noticeable you know, design changes that where you feel like oh we we are breaking free a little bit from from that which is cool it's it's just it's hard to do and it's great to see yeah cool that's all the questions I had I just wanted okay. to hear you talk about Alien yeah, <laughs> really no. and the box so I wanted um, to piggyback on this by the way if that's okay um, I this is a deep dive into your IMDb not sure. that deep but. Yeah. In between Super Force and Alien Resurrection, maybe your IMDb is not uh, complete or whatever. It's very possible. There's, there's, there's a bunch of holes. There, there seems to be a six-year break. Is that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so is your IMDb just missing something, or did you take a break and do something else? Did you uh, no, do the artwork for a while or what? No, I've always been I, – I haven't really taken much of a break from doing this stuff. Okay. I would have to look at it more closely and go, what would years? Uh, let me see here. I got it pulled up. Um, hold on a second. Let me uh look for Super Force. Yeah, it was uh it was ninety one and ninety seven. Seems like there's a gap in your um in your you know, IMDb I, here. I think some of that time I was doing stuff for Disney. Okay. And like theme park type work. Oh, okay, yeah. Like I uh, did a bunch of painting on the Roger Rabbit ride. Okay. Uh, I, I did full scale stuff and I also worked on miniature stuff because they're all there. Pretty much, I don't know what they still do it, but uh, certainly in the times I was working there in the 90s and I think any time prior to that, they would build um, 
very accurate architectural models that were fully painted. Okay. Really you know, looked like the real deal so they could run cameras through and really figure out how a ride's going to be made. Uh, so I, I worked on, on some of those miniatures. And okay. I worked also on a lot of commercials, fill in gaps. So it's not always film work. I mean, film work's okay. great when you get it. But, yeah. So there's a lot of probably at that time. Yeah, at the time, I think, as, I mean, my, my memory's a little fuzzy. But, yeah, there's either stuff that just wasn't. Plus, I think just when IMD came out and how things were credited or how people gave that information you know you don't always get credit in the shop right whereas now people will you know like where i'm working at the moment they will bother to put your name on imdb even if you don't get a a, a real credit in the film right or i maybe i just remembered and bothered to type it in myself <laughs> okay <laughs> I just saw because it's usually like you got like one or two year gap here, and then but yeah. then I saw that I was like, hmm, something else happened I here. Work on usually I do at least something on a film every year. Okay, it may not be a, any a big piece; it might be just a smaller thing. Uh, sometimes mm -hmm. I'll end up being spending a few months on something, and sometimes it can be just a month or a few weeks, and then it'll be broken up with a bunch of commercials. And, okay. You know, well, commercials pay more. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, the SAG can be pretty good on. Oh right. If you get lucky, if you get a nationwide. When you do SAG, when you get SAG credits, usually when you're doing a puppeteer job. Yeah, it's a pup puppeteer thing. Which, oddly enough, was Ronald Reagan that, uh, <laughs> that brought puppeteers into into SAG. Into oh SAG really? Sold, into the screen. Wow. Guild. When oh, he wow. was when he was in charge, he was the president of SAG. He was the president of SAG yeah. for a while, right? Yeah. yeah. Which is a yeah, <laughs> that's that's uh yeah interesting tidbit there, Stefan. Did you have any? Um yeah, what did you do on uh, the new Guardians of the Galaxy movie? That was it was over at Legacy, and it was just predominantly um, uh, painting appliances. It felt a little more dare I say? Yeah, it, it was it was just like in a room filled with people painting lots yeah. and lots and lots of appliances it was when you say it was explain appliance for the listener uh it's it, it, they make up appliances that uh that yeah. help to the change the uh the 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 look of, of the performance like a prosthetic them, makeup like a prosthetic makeup okay yeah cool uh, i did, did a lot of well, it's the i'm so bad with the names but the 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 guy with the red tattoos oh drax drax i painted tons of drax i did uh painted <laughs> bunch of nebula because it drax shot shot like 80 days or something plus uh -huh. plus their stunts yeah. and his, his tattoos there were i think there were eight different sheets of tattoos okay the, and each tattoo had at least like seven passes of colors it was ridiculous but anyway a bunch of bunch of passes of color to get them even though they just look red on the screen uh and you imagine you've got eight sets times 80 plus right. stunt guys there were there were a lot of those to paint thankfully they took me off oh. and put me on other things so <laughs> you getting tired of Drax? wasn't stuck on that the entire time but uh i mean it was it's always educational it was it's it's i i hadn't done that many you know days of just painting appliances like that so it was kind of interesting and some of the methods they were using was in was definitely interesting they were doing like kind of new methods tweaks on you know tweaks on on uh on how stuff done at least stuff i i hadn't seen 
So I, it's 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 great cool. to go to different shops because you get to learn learn different things. Right. Yeah. Awesome. But, is, is that it, Stefan? Or oh yeah, I think just so. the one. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I didn't get to go to Georgia. I think it was shot in Georgia. Um, yeah, Atlanta, right? Georgia, yeah. Georgia. Oh wow. Yeah. I know a bunch of people were going over there, out there to, to to work on it. I ended up leaving that and going to Australia. That was the time when I oh for I Covenant, Ellen Covenant to Covenant, yeah. Okay, but um, but in a way, I sort of pref- I'm glad I got on on Covenant. I mean, I'm more Guardians is fun, but uh-huh. Alien is you know it's more classic. You like darker shit. I usually. like darker stuff. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Damn right. Fuck That's Guardians right. of the Galaxy. <laughs> 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 we are also joined by Joey. You came in a little bit late. Oh, cool. What's up, Joey? Good day, Joey. How you doing, man? <laughs> good, man. Good to, good to hear from you. These uh, guys actually know each other from before. They've yeah, worked together. We, we worked at uh, John Merritt's. Um, yeah, it's like where, where we do lots of. His shop does tons of commercials. He's he, mm-hmm. very few films, but doesn't he really does good work on 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 commercials. His his prop style. It's like miniatures and props. And I think pretty high end stuff. Yeah, you, know, you stuff away with the end of it's like, yeah, I feel proud that I've worked. Uh, it's just a commercial, but the stuff we did looks yeah, but looks still, pretty good. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I think I, I came out to LA and it's like during the writer strike, and so I was like just trying to find a job of some sort. <laughs> <laughs> Got a little PA gig at a uh, at a prop shop, so I was there for like seven months. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, <laughs> lots of cool stuff being made, and oh yeah. Lots of frantic people trying to trying to get that stuff out the door. Yeah, just kind of learn how it all works, you know. And model builders are different <laughs> from creature creature effect shops have one kind of people. Model builders definitely there's a different pace, there's a different attitude. Mm-hmm. Just they they're, they're definitely different places to work. But okay, uh, yeah, it's it's all good stuff. Did you have a question about yeah. one of the? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, um, interrupt. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> it's totally fine. <laughs> Um, so using, we've, we've talked with the sort of FX artists, we sort of talk about the, you know, Marvel style movies or horror movies, but I see that, uh, you've done a few like Meet the Spartans, Scary Movie 2, uh, what's the other one? Epic movie. Like how's yeah. it working on those like sort of satirical, uh, you know, sort yeah, of fun. You know, you definitely notice the budget is different. It's lower. Things are faster mm-hmm. paced. Um, I gotta say, the Meet the Spartans is probably my least <laughs> favorite. <laughs> <laughs> working on it's fine. I, I got I got to go out on got to go out to New Orleans to hang okay. out there a little bit. I always like going out to that that part of the world. It's it's you know, it's a beautiful mm-hmm. city. Yeah, it is. But when I saw that film. I think I questioned why I was working. I questioned my life. I did question why the, the person I was working for at the time we did it over creature effects. And uh, Mark, the guy in charge there, was kind enough to, to pay for us to see it. And I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just yeah. like, that was not, that was not, uh, and the amount of effort, even, you know, doesn't matter what the film is, you put your all into it. That's, that's <laughs> right. the problem. I mean, you put, you, you, you know, you are hired to do a job and you take the job seriously. It's like, it's not our job to go, well, this is going to be a crappy film. So we're going to, sure. do, we treat it like it's going to be a good film. 
And and oddly enough, on set, the guy, the British guy that was playing Leonidas' character, he was really funny on set. There was some Mm -hmm. funny, you know, they would do a bunch of lines over and over, and he would do it different ways. And I thought, well, maybe this film, maybe this is going to work. Maybe this is. I mean, it's like, why not do a parody of... of but you of had your movie. reservations before that. You were like, this is not going to be good. Uh, I didn't know. Okay. You, you, don't, you don't know. When you're in the middle of a film, you don't know. I and mean, sometimes you think, oh, this could be crap, and it's great, and other times you think the other way. But you really don't know. Yeah, it's tough. It comes out. I mean, that's, that's always the big mystery with films. Maybe the people who are editing it have some clue. Yeah. But mm-hmm. from... Yeah. From my little tiny window, it's it's really hard to tell. And yeah, it seemed like that guy was funny. He was funny on the set, and there was some bits and pieces that looked like they had potential. It's like, well, if you cut this together, this could be good. But it seemed like they barely had an hour of footage, and then the last twenty minutes was just kind of behind the you know or the gaffs. I seem to remember. Can't remember. I, I can't believe I remember this much. It's like I had to go one. <laughs> you wanted to forget my, it, forget yeah, it. And I know I never actually saw Epic Movie. I didn't. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I, I did work okay. on on the original Three Hundred, and that was that was fun. Mm-hmm. I feel feel better about working. On right, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, That's right. Sure. Who brought you in? It's like, yeah, you worked on the original Three Hundred. <laughs> yeah. And I think I worked on the the second one too. Over it. <laughs> you think? Oh, you right forgot? Yeah. No, I didn't. <laughs> uh, I looked up Meet the Spartans. Two percent on yeah. Rotten Tomatoes. That's very kind of them. That's very kind. Give it the two, man. Yeah. I, 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 well, someone's got to. Someone's got to do that, I guess. Oh my mm-hmm. god. Yeah, it, it deserved. Yeah, did it deserve two? I don't know. Zero <laughs> percent. Yeah. Uh, I, I was shocked. I was, yeah. Anyway, the other one was Little Monsters. This is a movie I, you know, Actually, watched I, when I was a I, kid I, quite a bit. I, I watched Little Monsters probably around when it came out, and I remember kind of being impressed by it. It was it mm-hmm. was that was at Robert Short's, and it was right after they'd done Beetlejuice. So I okay. was working with a lot of people who'd worked on Beetlejuice. All those props from Beetle, a bunch of those props from Beetlejuice were around. Like I ended up painting a bunch of the uh, Adam and Barbara stretch faces for. They were using them for advertising somewhere. Okay. So they'd pulled a bunch of those uh, out of straight legs, latex out of the molds and painted those up. But yeah, I mean, Little Monsters, I, I enjoyed working on that. It was one of the first films where I was doing more painting appliances and doing that mm-hmm. kind of work. I hadn't done a lot of that sort of work at, at that point. And, uh, and Bob Shorts, Robert Shorts, it was, it was a tiny shop. It was kind of a funky little shop. I mean, it was a good atmosphere, but we'd we'd set up outside, and he would hook up the hose for the water. That <laughs> was it was definitely a, a funky little space down in Marina del Rey. But no. you know, it was they were really good people, and it was it was a good experience. Cool, awesome. Um, I just wanted to ask about the Last Samurai. So you made this mechanical horse? Yeah, that was over Creature Effects, and it was made from. Scratch. I mean, we no one had built anything quite like that before, at least not at the shop we were in. So we had to figure out, it's like, what's the fur going to be made out of? Uh. <laughs> you know, there's, there, were, there were a lot of questions. It was an interesting project because we, the mechanical guys that came in, they wanted to be able to design the thing in the computer. Right. So if you're going to design on the computer, you need to, and mind you, this was around 03. So this was new territory for people. 
Um, so they they found some digital model of a horse and and pre ZBrush and the like, where it was easier to, to sculpt and and model things like that. Not not that it wasn't being done, right? Obviously. Um, and I think what, what did they do? They they did some minor modifications. They then had that CNC cut, and it was then um, sculpted in clay, um, and then scanned. And they used that scan to design the mechanics. And then and this this that sculpture was only like two foot or something. It was a small. It was, right. a, it was a maquette of the horse essentially and then that was then cnc cut out of foam full scale and i remember there was a lot of like how big it, how do how do we measure this horse because obviously you measure a real horse by the withers which is where the shoulder blades are but this is a fake horse so are the shoulder blades even quite the right place it's uh, uh. i remember us being not 100 percent sure about and uh, the real horses in New Zealand, so we did, we couldn't measure it. We had to go off their measurements. Uh, and then when that CNC foam cut horse came in, um, the legs looked a little too fat. <laughs> the head sculptor on that immediately just started carving them down. Okay. And the the, the lead mechanic is like, "What the hell are you doing?" But because, why, why would you even make a mechanical horse? What was the purpose for this? To, for well, him to fall yeah, off of it the, or what? The whole purpose of that shot, and I probably should have prefaced it. No, it's this. fine. Uh, the whole purpose of that shot was, I, I, I guess, I'm trying to think of which movie it was. There's a movie prior to that where Tom Cruise's face had been stuck onto a stuntman's face, and he wanted to do the stunt. He didn't want a stuntman doing the stunt. And the shot was uh, in the fog battle where a horse comes in and, and kind of t-bones the horse and his the horse that we built that tom cruise is on rears up and then is knocked over okay with tom cruise all in one shot right so they wanted to to get that that whole shot with him on it rearing up the whole thing and then the other horse that that runs into him was just like a it was a, a stunt mechanical horse with no animatronics in it Whereas the one we built, um, everything from the head down was all hydraulics. You know, okay. Beautiful little hydraulic rams and the legs. Mm -hmm. um, it was all computer controlled, so you could pre-program movements or it could be puppeteered. They made Waldo-type um, controllers, so the puppeteers, like the, some of the controllers look like miniature versions of the legs. Um, and then the head, two other guys, did all those uh, animatronics and they're were, they're were all more traditional rc type uh, uh servos in the head and the nostrils flared the mouth had side to side movement it would open and close it had eyebrow movement and if you go on the creature effects side i think there's some uh video of it doing its thing and it's definitely worth looking at because i think it really really came out well i mean a lot of money was spent on it right it was done it was done from scratch and there was, there was a lot to figure out and we had about 10 months we we're doing other things in between but we had about 10 months to build that and then it was all brought out to new zealand where'd you make there. it if it wasn't it, it was it was made uh where creature effects is which is right like universal city area oh okay north hollywood ish universals yeah so yeah it's just sort of south of north hollywood okay right right really it's like 
we walked to Universal Studios. Oh, okay. About ten minutes walk from there. Okay. What was it like working with with Edward Zwick, the director? Um, I didn't see him that much. But okay. He, you know, seemed competent. Seemed to know what he's doing. Yeah. Um, it's it's always enjoyable watching people and the big productions. As I said before, it's that's. It's, it's like an army and, and um, there's so many people with all the little parts and you know, the effects guys. Yeah. The, you know, in this case, it was, it was doing the uh, fog battles. So this whole area of forest had to be fogged up. Um, you've got a whole bunch of guys on horses with, you know, with, with guns firing that have to be coordinated. A lot of, a lot of moving parts. And it's to be there to watch that happening is is definitely it's an impressive side when i when the i remember when the credits started rolling in that film i was one of the first times in a long time at that point where i felt like fuck i gotta see this movie again i really loved last samurai a lot and i know there was a bit of like Oh, Tom Cruise is the last samurai. This is bullshit. Like it's kind of a whitewashing argument. Yeah, and Tom for Cruise always then. gets people's hackles up. Yeah. I think he did a good job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's convincing. I mean, it was the right tone for that type yeah. of film. I mean, you've got to look at it in context of the sort of film it is, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And it, yeah. I think it, he he did the right job in, in the kind of film that, that it is. It was I felt like he had a good uh, performing tone. I mean, what else would you expect? I mean, it, not making an art film, but it was a beautifully shot. It's just that I think people took issue with the fact that it's it's a movie called The Last Samurai, and then it's the text is at the top, and then Tom Cruise's Tom white Cruise, face yeah. Yeah. is right in the middle. Which, sure, I get it, but a there actually is an historical yeah, something happening in history. Yeah, that, yeah. it was a French there's, guy, there's, not an American, but there was some sort of account. Yeah, it was, it was this white dude's perspective on these. Yeah, yeah, it's it's from his perspective, so whatever. But also, when I talk to Japanese people about this movie, they're they're generally like they it's really kind of held in high regard. It's kind of it's great to hear. Yeah, it's Dude. kind of held in high esteem, I think, which is kind of cool. And Watanabe probably has a lot to do with that. <laughs> and he was very cool on set. I think he yeah. just has certain actors definitely have a presence, and he, he yeah. has no exception. And Tom Cruise. I mean, he was acting a little sort of larger than life, as one would expect on set. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but at the same time, he came down, he shook hands with all the puppeteers. Oh, yeah. He brought his children on set to take a look at the, the mechanical horse. That we That's built. cool. He was, you know, he was, I thought he was very nice to everyone. Um, I, didn't, I didn't have any issue. I mean, there was the issues that we did have one day, I think the first day we were, we were shooting the horse where uh, Tom Cruise was finally on it. It wasn't, wasn't a stunt guy. Mm -hmm. And we had all the horses racing towards him at one point, yeah. their neck gets turned on the horse. Yeah. One of the real horses hits the neck of the mechanical horse and just snaps it. Uh -huh. <laughs> it was just made out of, it was all made out of quarter inch and half inch steel uh -huh. uh, linkages that were making up the vertebrae of the neck. But, you know, a real horse weighs what 1800 pounds and yeah. running that was nothing for it to snap so we spent all night repairing that and, and oh man bringing it back to life for the next day so we, we could shoot it uh, yeah it was it was definitely 
one of the cooler experiences to, to have. I mean, we were out there for two months. Uh, where we were in New Zealand was was beautiful. Right. The food was good. Oh, that's good. New Zealand was, <laughs> I mean, we were in a tiny little town, and that, the food was spectacular. Oh, really? Well, great coffee, great food, um, and working on a film that that unlike certain films, yeah, feel kind of proud to work on. Right. 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 Whenever I was in Japan a few years later, this isn't on your IMDb. I don't think you worked on it, but when I saw my, my friend was like, let's go see a movie. And I wasn't really paying attention to movies at the time. I was living in Japan. I was trying to learn Japanese and all this shit. We saw Blood uh, Blood Diamond, which is the same director, yeah. Edward Zwick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. He did do that. And I didn't, um, I didn't know anything about it. Just my friend was like, let's see. And I did not want to see it based on the poster, but I went because my friend wanted to see it. It was one of my favorite movies that year come back and i think imdb was around then check out and i was like oh fuck it's the last samurai director no wonder it's great and i think did he do um i'm gonna have to look it up because i'm totally spacing he did a film that i worked on like was it early 90s it was a civil war film glory glory, glory? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah 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 that's glory? right yeah yes that that's right first. that was i was really on, good too I wasn't on set for that, but I just I, I worked on like I think at the beginning guy gets hit by a cannonball, and I yeah. think we were working on the effect for that. Okay, so that was that was was my first first experience on one of his films. But yeah, oh, at oh, least yeah. We, I got on Last Samurai. Did at least get to see him directing. But it's oh yeah, I mean, watching a director on set direct is a little remote because they're off. You looking know, on the monitor tent, and shit. Looking at monitor, yeah. And you're just seeing bits and pieces. It's a, it's all. I, mean, I guess if if you're up close and working with them, or you're the actor, you get to see a little more. But but when you're doing effects, you, you they're separated from from a lot of that. Right. Yes. And at least most of the time. I and mean, sometimes you get to be a little more direct, or uh, if you're doing puppeteering and stuff, you you have to. Someone's got to give you direction, hopefully, or you figure it out yourself and right um, puppeteer direction i haven't even thought about that <laughs> yeah it's an important thing it's like how does the creature move what's it doing yeah so right sometimes yeah sometimes you get time to, to to work on that uh sometimes you get time in the shop it's like well what what kind of movement uh, you know how, how does this creature move what's it doing what's its motivation all that kind of thing it is a type of acting even though right. at times sometimes you're twiddling a knob to make something move but sometimes you're actually you really are trying to come up with a emotion to give life to whatever the creature is and in our horse is is tricky because it we're familiar with its movements it's not like a creature where you can get away with a lot more but a horse you know how it moves so it's not right. moving the right way and i remember those conversations coming up it's like well what kind of walking because even though a horse is locked down it could still do uh, um walking movements the front legs were we had the, uh, all of the front legs and half the back legs so you saw the the rump kind of moving um you know how's the neck move how would it rear up so there's a lot of studying of uh, a video of motion you had to and, see tom cruise fall off of this thing like 10 times i remember how many times i think we did it probably i feel like there was like five times. five takes it was really padded where he fell I mean, yeah made sure i would assume that was yeah ext- you know there were bags and, and all sorts of all manner of things around that area okay and, and they had to cut out an area that was probably the size of his room about 20 
20 foot by 20 foot area. Uh -huh. 10, 10 by 10 was for the uh, steel plate that the, the uh, horse was attached to. And then I think they just needed extra space to if you wanted to swivel it around. And then there was a big uh, hydraulic pump that was the size of a small car. It was off about 30 <laughs> feet that had to run the hydraulics on it. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. It was definitely an elaborate setup. I mean, to, to, to do that out in the middle of the forest, you've got to get equipment to dig out that area. Right. Uh, you know, it took a day to, to set it all in. And I think we spent a month in one location where we just did test shots. We, we oh, set yeah. it all up, they shot it. I, I thought it was funny because they put a big green screen behind it. Shot it in front of the green screen. It's like, well, it's good we came to New Zealand for that, <laughs> right? Um, Stefan, did you have any? I don't know. <laughs> no questions. <laughs> wow. All right. Um, well, yeah, we're we're nearing the end. Um, I wanted to ask, um, when you go to the theater, what do you look forward to most? Um, is it is it the effects makeup or uh just blood in general you're you seem to be less of a horror guy actually yeah, not, i mean i i don't mind horror if the horror needs to be there in context to to whatever i'm watching and it's it's clever sure yeah but i'm not like oh it's a horror film let's just go and see it I yeah 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 it's got to be it's got to have a little more to it than that i mean i i i love fantasy and aliens and you know sci-fi sci Time travel is always a good thing. Okay. If it's done reasonably well. Yeah. I mean, it, as much as I, I, I do effects work, but I didn't necessarily have to go and see an effects film. I mean, okay. it has effects in it, great. I can definitely enjoy them, but it doesn't have to be an effects film for me to enjoy it. Okay. So, would you say that Star Wars is still kind of at the top of your movie list to this day? Yeah. I mean, as an adult, it's it you cringe a little bit at the dialogue really but but the look of, i mean i still the overall story yeah uh, yeah uh, the the look of it i still think it holds up uh, yeah i think the miniatures in that the, the matte paintings the effects in general yeah there's some rough around the edges and some of the creatures are a little looser but overall uh, considering when it was done it was such a leap ahead of anything else right i mean the production design was just was just beautiful my mom said that was the first sci-fi movie she ever liked <laughs> <laughs> i guess she wasn't a fan of flash gordon or whatever yeah i mean all that stuff that. seemed it's it seemed sort of easy and contrived whereas you could get into something like star wars and be taken away and it's like i i have traveled somewhere else i have traveled to a new right world as opposed to watching something where it's like, yeah, it's some people who contrived something who've made up and it, it's looking cheesy in front of me. Right. <laughs> Star Wars, you could believe it. You believe those robots were real robots or uh, uh, droids were real droids. Somebody also said that one of the reasons for its success is for until Star Wars, a lot of sci-fi was fairly slow paced. Yeah. But George Lucas like racing he, cars he, he, in real life. He did keep the pacing going. And and with the trench run at the end and all that, yeah. it, 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 there's the like there's definitely a lot of speed yeah. to Star Wars. Yeah. Which I think probably is what one of the things that really separated it from other other sci-fi at the time. Yeah, I got to work with a couple of people who worked on the original. Oh yeah. Yeah, uh, on the on the blob, David Beasley. Who was, okay. who was working with on the, the 
the old guy getting his hand chopped, he did. He built, I think, some of the original Millennium Falcons because obviously there's a bunch of different scales. Can we have him on the podcast? You <laughs> <laughs> uh, always track him down. I'm Is he in the, the Bay Area? Uh, he lives up. Last time I heard from him, he was up in Santa Barbara area. Oh, it's not that far. Yeah, but he's he's a pretty great guy. Very calm. He did. If if there is such a thing as old souls, he's definitely fits into that category. Okay. Uh, yeah, he's and very knowledgeable, and he's more of a machinist. Okay. He actually taught me or introduced me to the concept of machining and buying high quality machines. Okay. And yeah, tools in the effects industry is certainly an important thing. Cool. Um, let me see what else we got here. Um, so last question, um, maybe kind of a long question, but, um, look at time. (laughs) Uh, what were your hopes and dreams at the time of entering the industry? Uh, did you have any disillusionment once you got in it? Uh, and has that, if there was, was the disillusionment, did it kind of dissipate quickly or over the years or? I think I was so young. I didn't think I knew what I was heading into. I just went in blind. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I didn't think there were hopes and dreams. It's just like, this looks exciting and and fun and like something I've never done before. And yeah, I've been doing this for probably 30 years or close, right. close to that. And yeah, there's certainly days when it's like, well, what the hell am I doing? But most days I go to work, I do feel still feel excited. I still feel inspired. I still love seeing stuff that I've worked on and other people that I know have worked on. And, and I love the creativity. Uh, I love the fact that it forces me to, to, to solve problems to think every day. Um, anything I think it it doesn't fill is my own, you know, my own art, my own creativity because I'm, you know, I'm working for someone else. I'm building their dreams. Right. That's the area that doesn't really get filled. But in terms of just doing creative stuff, it's pretty cool, and you get to do it with a group of. There's so many amazing people that I work with. I mean, I, so many people that it's it's that are really good artists that. I'm lucky enough to be around to work with. It's it's really inspiring, and I, I don't feel like I've lost that. It's I didn't know what I was getting into. <laughs> now now that I'm here, it's, I don't know what else I would have done to be honest. Right. Well, at least you didn't. You never. You didn't seem like you wanted to change at all. Like you 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 started this when you're 15, and you you're still doing it. Yeah. No. It's it's still every day is a different day. Every you know, every project has you and different challenges i mean yeah there's there's some repetition and it's like yeah we've made these mistakes or we've gone down this road or whatever but there's always new stuff there's always another way of approaching things and there's new technology there's rapid you know the rapid pro- prototype machine there's new software yeah and i do a lot of photoshop stuff as well and i'm getting my zbrush skills up and th- those are really exciting new tools uh, new and old tools at this point <laughs> right that, that add even more to what what we do. Add even more to, to the physical part of the effects that, that that happen. I mean, CG I think enhances. I mean, sometimes you couldn't do a shot without CG. 
I mean, there's, there's a lot of shots that would be impossible. Yeah. That couldn't have even been done. But, and hopefully doing practical stuff, you know, they, they enhance each other. And I, I think I deviated from the question. No, that's good. Definitely. Um, I think that's going to do it for, for this episode, unless you guys got something else. Uh, not specifically. Kicking back and taking in all the... <laughs> yeah, it's a little lighter for some of you. Yeah, that's true. Effects <laughs> artist. I'm going to be dreaming about movies now. okay well i think that's gonna do it man thanks for coming on thank you guys thank you julian thank thank you that was julian ledger everybody we wanted to thank him for coming on it's always awesome to have all these effects artists come on to Superhouse, and this time was certainly no exception and that's basically it that's been episode 97 We are going to do our Justice League review next week, and we will have senior Batman correspondent Ben Wan on Superhouse once again to discuss that. We are looking really forward to that, and we'll also do some Punisher stuff as well, but I think that probably the Justice League stuff will take precedence at least this uh, coming episode, and then we also would like to ask that everyone leave a comment if they can, in uh, iTunes, if possible, and on SoundCloud as well. But uh, I think leaving a comment in iTunes actually increases our exposure, so that's why we're asking for that. And that's basically it this time. This has been episode 97. Check you guys later. Ben, I've missed you. This is Stefan from the Superhouse Podcast. Be sure to check us out on Patreon, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and any other godforsaken social media outlet that we that we should be floating on. We are basically on all social media. <laughs> yeah, all social media. Mainly Facebook and Twitter and Patreon. Check out the links in the description. We have uh, a lot of uh, cool goals uh, set up on our Patreon. Like if you donate a dollar, you'll be able to uh, give us a topic for us to talk about and we'll talk about for maybe an hour or more who knows how long it'll take and that's pretty tight (laughs) that's the coolest thing (laughs) wait we're on the internet that's pretty good (laughs) and we can make money (laughs) what (laughs) if you donate a thousand dollars you get full frontal nudes we haven't set that up but it's a possibility you give us a grant who knows what'll happen check us out (laughs) i'll do that Uh-huh. You get to go on a date with one of us for $10,000. <laughs> but you pay for everything. <laughs> you get to have your way with Maddie for $20,000. I'm a million, I'll give you Joey for a weekend. <laughs> for $30,000, we'll help you hide a body. Check out our Patreon. <laughs> Superhouse Gigolo Project 2017. <laughs> Links in the description. 